Daily Coast's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Coast, and your co-host, along with senior political writer Carrie Elleveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. I'm Marcos Molitsis. I am here with Carrie Elleveld. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Today, we're going to be talking about Arizona. Arizona is ground zero in her fight for our democracy. It was a 50-50 state in the 2020 presidential election and was won by Democrats thanks to massive turnout gains amongst Latinos, American Indians, and probably college-educated white women in the suburbs. Democrat Mark Kelly won a special election Senate seat that he must defend in 2022 in a 50-50 Senate. So we got a 50-50 country. We got a state Arizona that's 50-50. There's a 50-50 Senate. Arizona's other senator, Kirsten Sinema, refuses to budge on the Jim Crow filibuster, meaning minority Republicans can stymie most Democratic legislation in that 50-50 Senate. And Republicans from all over the country are flocking to marvel at a sham Republican audit and an audit in quotes, audit, attempting to find fraud, attempting <laughs> to find evidence of voter fraud that never happened. The state's hero secretary of state, Katie Hobbs, who also won a close election in 2020, is running for governor, which could prove critically important to prevent additional voting restrictions ahead of the 2024 presidential election. And of course, Arizona will be a fiercely contested presidential battleground into the near and mid future. Today, we're going to be talking about we're going to be talking to Arizona progressive champion Representative Ruben Gallego. And we're going to talk about the state's his state's pivotal role in the battle for our democracy. And Carrie, it is an actual circus in Arizona, and it seems like it, it really is ground zero for this fight for our democracy, doesn't it? It sure does. I mean, what is going on there is insane. And in case people, you know, Washington, the Washington reporters, the national media tends to be mostly focused on what's going on in Washington. But what we're seeing in Arizona, if you if if any, re, you know, any of our listeners haven't been totally keeping up is is all of the, first of all, the Senate Republicans, let's just set the stage for anyone who hasn't sort of paid attention to this sham audit. Senate Republicans ordered this audit and then handed it on, off to this group called Cyber Ninjas that had zero actual experience in conducting an audit on elections, a review of sorts of the ballot. Then the ballots, the machines got handed over them. There, are they are a partisan, you know, owned by private owned company that supported Trump, and you know it's just a mess. And what we find out now, just recently today, is that Maricopa County officials and Maricopa County is where this audit is taking place, supposed audit, right? They say they can no longer use the machines that were handed over to the cyber ninjas and all of their volunteer squad, you know, that are conducting this audit. 
And um, because it's too compromised. So now, you know, that was like a $6.1 million contract with these, with Dominion voting systems for these machines, right? And I think they were about halfway through that contract. So now Maricopa County has to come up with new machines for, um, they're, they're using a reserve for some of the elections this year, but by next year, they're going to have to have new machines. And on top of that, you've got Republican lawmakers from the cro- across the country from hey, places hey, like, hey, yeah. yeah, yeah. Carrie, we have Ruben Gallego with us, so let's bring okay. him on, and we can pull him in, and you can ask him yeah. about this craziness that's <laughs> happening in Arizona. Uh, Congressman Ruben Gallego represents Arizona's 7th Congressional District. He's an Iraq war vet, and he's one of the best progressives in Congress, definitely one of my favorites. Ruben, thank you so much for joining, uh, joining well, us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. So so I was just kind of bringing our, our listeners up to speed on this. We're so happy to have you because we want you to make sense of what the heck is going on in Arizona. <laughs> I mean, just just I want to know because they, they, a, a poll came out today of Arizona voters that found um, I'm sure you've seen it, I think, that uh, that so- found that for a plurality of forty nine percent to 46 percent of Arizona voters were against or opposed to this sham audit that's mm-hmm. taking place. But more importantly, indie, in independent voters opposed it by 18 points. And then you've got all of these, you know, Republican lawmakers from across the country coming in, you know, descending on Arizona. Pilgrimage. Yeah, pilgrimage, you right. know, and then they're going to take this great idea back to their states and try to do it in their own states. It, but it's a mess. It's a mess. And I just wonder, I guess, as a baseline, what kind of backdrop this is for 2022 in your state. It, you know, it, it are Republicans like shooting themselves in the foot here because they ordered this audit and then they, you know, just let us know what you think. Well, first of all, whenever you're dealing with Arizona Republicans, never try to make the insane the same, right? <laughs> what you see is what you get. It is crazy. Uh, it's And no, kind of knowing the history of Arizona, it's either designed two things. Number one, shore up the base of Republicans, or number two, to basically grift, right? Try to bring in as much money through some sham operation. And right now, the Arizona Republican Party is falling apart. They are, you know, have very little opportunities in terms of raising money. So this kind of sham audit actually is a very good way for them to raise money and also distract from the fact that they have lost uh, their losing election. They've lost the last two uh, general elections. You know, they turned the state essentially a light shade of blue uh, because of their extremism. Uh, and you know, the the one thing that I think people have to remember is that Arizona was the prototype. Trump state before Trump even existed. We're the ones that were talking about border walls, locking them up, all this type of stuff. And the only thing the Republicans understand whenever they start losing elections is to go deeper and deeper into their base. They don't know how to reach out. They don't have any moderation. And so this is kind of a spiral, uh, it's called death spiral with the Arizona Republican Party in Arizona. So oh, I like I mean, that. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very optimistic. And and I mean, the, the turnaround in Arizona from 2016 to 2020 was dramatic. And I, I don't think people quite under like really recognize how massive that shift is. A lot of attention goes to Georgia and Georgia right. got that extra bonus because of the runoff. But the Democratic performance was bigger that the difference that the growth in Democratic performance was bigger in Arizona than it was in Georgia. It was over 30 percent turnout. Mm-hmm. And. 
Donald Trump got his vote out. I mean, their turnout was also up quite a bit, but we got our turnout even bigger. Yeah. And so, I mean, from, from, you know, what I've seen, a lot of that was because of turnout with, with Latino voters, turnout with American Indian voters and gains in the suburbs. But then there's also this undercurrent that maybe Trump made gains with Latinos in 2020. What do you see in Arizona? Is there a risk that those voters won that Republicans may make further gains with Latino voters? And two, um, is there any fear that they just may not even turn out in 2022, given historical voting trends? So at least in my district, we only saw maybe a 1% shift towards Donald Trump among Latino voters. And that that we can't really tell specifically because they might also just be white conservative voters that live in Latino areas that came out and voted more, more than usual. But the reason we feel that that, you know, that shift happened is just natural incumbency. Uh, Democrats, sorry, Latinos will vote for an incumbent, especially one that, you know, is saying you're going to get back to work. One that is, you know, trying to fight the, the shutdown because of COVID-19. In my district, we never stopped walking. I think that was the biggest mistake that happened last cycle. We knew where my district, in order to get out the vote, we have to canvass, and we continue canvassing during COVID nineteen in a very safe manner. And I think that one of the things that people are underestimating is like how what how close the elections were in Arizona. The elections were close because of COVID nineteen. I, I think without COVID nineteen, we actually win the state probably by two to three points versus the the small amount. I do think that there is something to be said that our Latino is going to start sliding towards Republicanism. Maybe. Uh, I think Trump is an anomaly. It's, you know, he has 100 percent name ID. He's identified more as a businessman within Latino community than he is uh, a Republican. Uh, I think uh, it does point to a couple other things, though, that you do need to actively work the Latino community, you need to actively be uh, present and, and out there. And the fact that COVID-19 essentially shut down a lot of our opportunities to really reach out to the working class communities, uh, I think, you know, really affected us, you know. You can't be doing, you can't do Zoom organizing in working class Latino uh, neighborhoods, right? That's not how it works. You know, you have to actually go door to door and do old fashioned shoe leather uh, uh, conversations. And we just didn't do it. And with, in regards to whether the Republicans did, we know they did. Uh, and I think that's where the, the, the biggest failure that we saw within the Democratic circle, at least. But I mean, how do you square that with that 30% increase in turnout? So there was a massive Democratic turnout. Are you yeah. saying that Latino areas in specifically were not as high performing as other Democratic constituencies? So the largest like turnout among Latinos was actually young Latinos, uh, which, uh, you know, were are, are more socially uh, adept. You know, you could hit them through, you know, you know, everything Facebook, text messaging snap i mean there's so many ways to do it uh but what you also saw were older latinos uh that were voting and more vo- voting a little more towards the right now it wasn't as drastic at least in arizona and other parts of the country it was and partly again that's part of the incumbency but also again not having that that i think face-to-face conversation to really push back on a lot of the republican rhetoric that was out there how are you feeling about uh, 2022? And then we'll probably move on. But I mean, if you think that that, you know, Democrats could have won the state by a few more points than they actually did in 2020. What are you seeing in terms of enthusiasm on both sides of the aisle heading into next year? I think right now the Democrats do have an advantage in Arizona. Thank God. Um, uh, I think what is occurring with the Republican Party in terms of trying to fight uh, the, the past election with the audit 
you know, the January 6th insurrection, I think, is also going to weigh heavily with Latinos. Uh, remember, a lot of us come from countries where we saw these types of coup. And I don't think that anyone really identified one party versus another party as being pro-coup. But I think now we could clearly say that the Republican Party is a pro-insurrectionist party. And I think that will actually have a lot of effect. And Arizona, I think it's all about making sure you figure out how to get the young voter, young Latino voters out. Uh, if you don't get young Latino voters out, you have results like 2010, 2014, yeah. where we had massive drop off. If you get young Latinos out, then you have 20, 2018, where you had great successes here. So what can be helpful with that if we are able to pass a lot of the Biden agenda, specifically also the uh, the earned income tax credit will be extremely helpful getting out young Latinos. When I say young Latinos, but I, I mean people from 18 to 30 who, you know, some of them have kids, right? And so uh, the child tax credit is going to be a big boom uh, for the Latino, or, well, obviously for the Latino community, but also for, for Democrats. And if we can somehow make that a permanent thing, I think you would actually have great uh, participation. So I think that we're going to have a really good year in 2022. Uh, the way the numbers have been going for the last, you know, 10, uh, you know, I mean, I've been working in Arizona politics now for close to 18 years, I'd say, or 16 years. You're consistently seeing higher voter registration numbers. You're seeing more and more younger politi- younger Latino politicians getting elected to office all over the state. So we really do have the kind of right atmosphere for us to turn out. And it just I think we just have to make sure we figure out what we deliver to them to actually encourage them to come out. No, I love the you enthusiasm. Know, <laughs> no, speaking of del- delivering, okay, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know what you're going to ask, Carrie, and I'm sure <laughs> the congressman knows as well. But I'm sorry, I'm, I got to go. <laughs> I have one more question about 2022, and and we have we have a governor's race in Arizona. We have yeah. uh, Mark Kelly in that 50-50 Senate, an absolutely critical you know election for control of the Senate, which is is hanging on the balance. Historically, the party that is in the White House loses midterm elections, loses those close elections. Yeah. And but Kerry and I had this theory that Donald Trump. You know, with the Republican Party keeping Donald Trump front and center, that it sort of turns this more again into maybe 2020 all over again, or maybe even in a, a referendum on Donald Trump himself. And really, it seems to me that if that theory is true, Arizona would be ground zero, right? Because there's no state party that is more tied to Donald Trump right. than than Arizona. As you see Republicans start to gear up their election, it, are they really clinging to Donald Trump? I mean, is there is that that obsession with sticking with a loser, you know, in full swing. Is that happening? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, this this uh, Arizona Republican Party and the candidates are all about Trump. The the Who's going to win a lot of these primaries going to depend on, you know, how close you get to Trump or whether you can even get the Trump uh, endorsement. I think that's going to be a, a, a net positive for Democrats because I think we still get out our vote. I think there's a lot of Republicans and moderates, uh, moderate Republicans, moderate de- independents, that won't vote for a Trump uh, Republican. Uh, and also, I don't think the Trump base comes out uh, as strong uh, yeah. when Trump's not on the ballot. Uh, and you can never go the full Trump. It's not possible. Uh, so any of these candidates that do it, either they, they come off as not being genuine or it comes out you know, seeming you know uh, extreme. Only Trump can really deliver Trump and the Trump voters. So I think at the end of the day, we're going to have a net positive from from this, you know, from this uh, uh, movement. Now, if Trump runs again in 2024, I can tell you there I have other theories about what's going to happen with that election. But I also think I think he's actually do worse than he did in 2020 uh, than in, in 2024. Yeah. Go ahead, Kerry. <laughs> I well, know you want that. 
You can't leave, Congressman. You can't leave. We'll, we'll, we're going to publish this. This the moment when you, up. I'm sorry. When, yeah, yeah, when you rip off your earpiece and and, and run from our questions. No. So, I mean, you, you clearly know where I'm headed in terms of delivering uh, for the voters who voted Democrats into power. And, uh, you know, a lot of progressives uh, on our site in particular, I read the comments, are really ticked off with a certain Senator Sinema from Arizona. Um, And they basically feel like she's prioritizing the rights of Senate Republicans over, for instance, the voting rights of the Mm -hmm. American people, of American citizens. And, you know, People really wonder, does she even really believe in voting rights? I mean, she says she does. She signed on to the For the People Act, but, you know, it keeps on reiterating, you know, that she won't do it. You know, she, she's against removing the filibuster that uh, that that creates the 60 vote threshold that basically gives Republic, Senate Republicans a, a veto power over Biden's agenda. And so I just was hoping that you would try to take us into you. You, you obviously know a lot more about cinema. Cin- or, I keep on messing it up. Senator cinema than than most of us do. And I, I wonder, do you feel like, number one, she's behaving sort of consistently with sort of the political biography that she's created so far, who she's been as a, you know, politician in Arizona to this point? Well, I think, you know, you know, Kirsten is running always very tough races. And, uh, you know, one of her uh, beliefs is that the way to win, which I think is is correct in some regard, is you have to bring over crossover moderates and independents. I do think, though, that there is something to be said about the growing uh, American electorate in, in Arizona uh, and a future American electorate in Arizona. You know, we have a lot of young people that are, you know, registering every month. You have a lot of people moving in from out of state. And I think they value people over policy. I'm sorry, people over process. Uh, and, you know, what, what happens every day to make people's lives better does matter more. And I think she will gain more traction by delivering than trying to stick to a very antiquated uh, process that's that really, you know, rooted uh, in, in the preservation of, of slavery. But I know Kirsten. I've known Kirsten for uh, a long time. Uh, you know, I, she once was my boss when we managed a campaign together in 2006. Uh, I was, you know, with her in the state house while she was in the state senate. We served in Congress together. I have hope, and I have uh, real hope that she does change her mind once she realizes uh, and notices that you know Republicans are not going to budge on the Voting Rights Act, and they're just going to do everything they can to gut you know the changing power power dynamic that's happening in this country. Does she have any history of changing her mind on things like that? Can you point to something where you're like, well, she was for this and then she ended up, you know, going the other way on it? Well, I mean, certainly if you see her progression, she has gone from, you know, being a a very, uh, I would say, uh, very, very progressive, you know, member of the state house to working as a moderate, you know, in in Congress. I've seen her, for example, take a, a position uh, one way when it came to um, uh, you know, refugee uh, status issues in back in 2016 and when she she and many of her colleagues realized that they they overshot, they introduced legislation to basically, uh, you know, modify their position. Uh, I think that was around 20, 2015 or yeah, 2015 or 2016. So it does happen. Uh, I think we have to continue doing our job. You know, those that are friends, you know, help uh, educate her uh, or just give her more information. I think. Uh, you know, as as Democrats in general, we have to 
make sure that we guard that the fact that these republic not guard but protect uh, our options too. Because at this point, we know what the Republicans in Arizona are trying to do. We know the Republicans nat- nationwide are going to do, uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, Kirsten recognizes that too. Yeah, that's one of the things that's really sort of frustrating for for some of us observing Republicans ac- around the states working to restrict the vote. And I mean, these acts, they're going to, they're, I'm not sure if they're already trying to do it in Arizona. I mean, I'd be shocked if they're not right. Uh, yeah, they are. Absolutely. To, yeah. And so it would make her reelection more difficult <laughs> if Republicans have their way. So as a matter of self-preservation, you would think that she'd be motivated to, to make sure that the, that the, for the people act passes. In addition she clearly relishes the attention. And so any 50-50 Senate where her vote would be needed for any piece of legislation, she would be the queen of the Senate. It would be like queen cinema in King Mansion, and they would rule the roost. And so I don't understand why, just as a matter of self of uh, self-interest, she doesn't do these things. And so is there something that you know about her that would sort of speak to that, that would explain why she clings to process as opposed to even just self-interest? Look, I think she really does believe that the sticking to process helps her with crossover uh, votes. And, and that's the only thing I can think of, uh, to be honest. I, I still think, though, at the end of the day, delivering for people matters. And and also our, our highest calling uh, as representatives, as senators, should be, to the, should be the preservation of democracy, uh, and when process is used to erode democracy, that's when process has to go for the defense of democracy. And I, I truly believe at the end of the day that, that Kirsten understands that uh, she may be slow to the road, uh, to, uh, slow on the road to Damascus, but I think she will get there. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's that's what we can all work for at least uh, at this time. Let me ask just one follow up on this. You know, I think Manchin, Senator Manchin of West Virginia is a little bit more of a known quantity. And so people tend to talk about him more. He has sort of a longer legislative history in the Senate at this point and uh, has been a political figure for, for a slightly longer time. He seems at least committed to the idea of Biden, of President Biden having a successful presidency. Do you believe at a just a, you know, in her heart of hearts, Senator Cinema is is dedicated to that project? I do. Yeah, I do. Look, I think um, I've had my, my policy disagreements with with Senator Cinema many times, uh, but I do think at her core, she is a good Democrat and she understands that a Biden a successful administration is both good for the country and good for her. Uh, re-election in 2024. So I do think that that she is going to try to find that balancing act. And uh, I think she'll she'll do the best when it comes to that. So, OK, so moving on, let, let's let's, you know, live in a fantasy. Oh, world. Good. <laughs> <laughs> a, a fantasy world where um, the filibuster has gone because cinema and mansion saw the light and a couple other holdouts uh, saw the light. And you're looking towards, again, 2022 and even into 2024. If you could pass, you know, a couple of pieces of legislation that you would know would sort of lock down that, that Democratic vote and would really boost our turnout in these next two critical cycles, what would you focus on? Well, I'd probably would focus on the, the three things that, I, at least in my district, are, are very important. Number one, um, you know, getting us out of this poverty wage economy. And, you know, right now in Arizona, we actually do have a pretty decent uh uh, minimum wage that was passed by initiative, 
But with the rising cost of housing, rising cost of healthcare, rising cost of everything, you know, even 15 bucks an hour is still going to commit a lot of families to poverty. So I do think making permanent this earned income tax credit, uh, and I would actually move it beyond families uh, to give, you know, working class people an opportunity to, you know, get out of the poverty cycle really matters. Uh, and I think that would be something that would be helpful turning out the Latino vote. A child care subsidy, which I would make universal, uh, is very huge. You know, I have a, a, a beautiful four and a half year old son. And even though I make a great wage, it still costs me money. I can't imagine what a, a family that makes on average $65,000 a year having two kids, how they're going to be able to pay for their kids, you know, child care until they go to at least pre-K or K. Right. So I think that's the other one. And lastly, health care. You know, it's just it's ridiculous what people are doing right now just to pay pay for bills. Uh, I you know I can understand why people, some people are hesitant for Medicare for all, but there needs to be other steps in between until we actually get there. If that's not going to happen, right? A public option I think is the most important thing that we can do right away. Uh, it brings competition to the marketplace. It's going to give access to people to healthcare that never had it, uh, and also at the same time, I do think we have to heavily not heavily, but we have to. Um, move who, who is eligible for Medicaid uh, high, to higher income levels and cover more people. We do those three things. I think you're going to have uh, a, a, a really an outpouring of support among voters, because if you look at the average median wage in Arizona, in Arizona for a family of, I think, four, uh, it's only about $57,000. And I'm sorry, you know, who, whoever thinks family of four making $57,000 a year is middle class, it's not. You're barely making it by. Uh, so these types of actions would help all those families from that level and down and really you know, be better for this. It's just better for the economy to have people that aren't aren't living in poverty. Uh, but it would also have good results and rewards uh, at the um, at the ballot box. Along the same lines, is there anything that you think the president can do with the stroke of a pen that might uh, might help solidify some of the Democratic vote, get people out to vote next year? Well, anything you could do with immigration, I think, would be a huge uh, step forward, especially solidifying the, the space for our um, dreamers to become U.S. citizens. And I think there's some theories of, of how you can do that, uh, that if we can't get it through comprehensive immigration form through through the through the Senate. Also, just even trying to bring down the cost uh, to apply to be a, a DACA to for your DACA renewal. It's ex- it's extremely high, so sometimes above the thousands of dollars. Or even for you to apply your citizenship. You know, one of the things that people don't recognize is that the cost of uh, for someone to go from a green card to apply for the citizenship has increased tremendously uh, over the last decade, which discourages a lot of people from becoming and applying for citizenship. Um, I also think, uh, you know, uh, in either bringing down the federal student debt rate to like zero percent, your interest rate zero percent, or just forgiving uh, is possible through the circuit pen. I think that's extremely important. Uh, the reason I say that's because. You know, in in Arizona, especially our, our you know brown and brown and black communities that have been trying to get into uh, middle class to actually uh, you know move and, and be part of the American dream. Well, as coincidentally, not coincidentally at all, as Arizona became browner and browner, public uh, uh, you know the state support for public universities came went down this way. Uh, and of course, you know, our brown uh, students decided to take out loans to, you know, basically take, take part of it. And a lot of those are federal loans. Uh, we basically have put them into a, a, a you know, a, a debt cycle where they can't really afford to buy a house. They can't really afford to leave the job they have. It's going to take a risk. And they're stuck, uh, you know, paying this debt. So I think 
reducing that debt, whether it's at least dropping down to 0% interest, they could just pay it off without, you know, in the foreseeable future, or forgiving a certain amount of that debt, I think would be huge and huge in terms of both economic returns, as I said before, as well as, uh, you know, getting people excited about supporting the, the Democratic agenda. Yeah, everybody we talk to, Congressman, when we ask that question, it's $50,000 forgiveness. It's it's everybody zeroes in on that one because the yeah. benefits are so patently obvious that everybody wonders why it hasn't been done already. We have time for one more question. So I was intrigued. Earlier on, you said that uh, that you have a theory that Democrats will win Arizona by even more in 2024 if Trump were to run. Yeah. Can you explain that a little bit? Because uh, you've been so optimistic. Like, this is a great way to finish. Right. I just remember I was one of the pre- people that called it in 2010 that Arizona was going to be blue in 2020. So I have a decent track record here. <laughs> Look, I think you know, you know, Arizona has continued to grow. Uh, you know, we have, uh, you know, a burgeoning uh, Latino population. He's not going to do better with that population he did last time. He's only going to do worse. And again, we're, we're growing. I think uh, uh, Biden's approach, especially to the economy, is going to be really important. Uh, in terms of doing better with a lot of uh, swing voters uh, than he did last time. And I think we hit the lowest possible numbers you could in rural Arizona. It wasn't, if it was any, <laughs> if we could, we could have hit like any worse numbers in terms of democratic performance, uh, it, it just wasn't possible. So I don't see us going below that level in the future because also the population of Arizona is also dropping. But I think, you know, President Biden will even do five to 10 points better in that area. So overall, everything's going to shift more here. We're, you know, I think Arizona will be maybe a swing state 2024 at the beginning of 2024. But I think towards the end, you'll see it being more closely aligned to uh, New Mexico, somewhere between New Mexico and Colorado in terms of the Democratic performance. So I hope people will be able to shift to, you know, turning Texas blue and turning uh, North Carolina blue and solidifying Georgia at that point. Uh, And, uh, you know, as much as we love being in the limelight, you know, what matters more is we, uh, you know, uh, stay stay together as a country and certainly can't happen under uh, Trump administration. I well, we love are, the optimism. <laughs> we, are, we are certainly rooting for the Republican Party to just rip itself to shreds there. I mean, you know, just just go after Maricopa County with all the GOP officials in, on the county board saying this is a sham audit. And the Republican right. Party at the state level saying, no, no, we got to do this. And we're going to ruin all your machines in the process. So, I mean, yeah. you know, let let them just claw it out. It, so, it's a sad. It's very sad. Actually, I'm friends with a lot of the Maricopa County GO, GOP County supervisors. Uh, we've known each other for years, and I, you know, worked with them on city councils and stuff of that nature. And it is odd to see them being treated as if they're, you know, uh, you know, left wing radicals is what the Republican Party calls them. They're they're very much not that. They're very, you know, middle district road conservatives that just believe in, you know, counting correctly and not, you know, delving into weird conspiracy theories. Congressman Ruben Gallego uh, of Arizona's 7th Congressional District, thank you so much for joining us and giving us some insight into what is, I really do believe, ground zero in America's fight for democracy today. Thanks Gracias. So much. I'll talk to you guys soon. Okay. That was fun. <laughs> it was fun. Man, Arizona really is um, is where all the action is is right now. And, and um um, he, he didn't really want to criticize Kristen Cinema, and I'm, I, I get they, they have to work together. I mean, it, it's their, their colleagues. Um, I didn't realize that she actually was his boss at one time. No, so I didn't know that they, either. They have, but you know, they have I mean, history. Look, that just goes to show you, though. I mean, the people who you know are in these states and have been running in these states and live in these states, 
you know, they have a much longer history, which is why I was hoping to get at least a little bit of insight from him on what's going on in Kirsten Cinema's head, because none of us can really wrap our minds around it from the progressive standpoint, right? Um, Do you think but, he did? did? Did you learn anything? Well, it was, uh, did I learn anything? <laughs> Well, I think I think what I learned. So, you know, you're you're number one. He did come up with an example of her having changed her mind and moderated a position. Okay, so that's important because if someone never changes their mind and moderates a position, then, you know, then you've got a problem because she's stuck on not getting rid of the filibuster. The other thing is. Um, he seemed no. He seemed to genuinely think she was committed to Biden and Democrats delivering something and having a successful presidency. So that's hopeful. And by and large, the biggest takeaway is, it, and this should not surprise anybody, Kirsten Cinema is a political operator, right? She went from being a, a pretty diehard progressive, I think, in a from a blue district to moderating her positions in order to become senator, right? But that but she 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 is worried about her political future. That matters to her, right? So it, I think it would be really hard for her to come out of Biden's presidency or Biden's first term having tanked like a reconciliation bill, voting rights, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> And have any political future whatsoever. She's she didn't get to be senator by being dumb, and that would just be dumb unless she really plans on make, like trying to switch political parties. But switching political parties in Arizona right now is would be stupid because the Republican Party is actually on you know as as the congressman said is sort of on its way down right rather than on its way up. If it, if the Republican Party there were ascendant, then I would be like we may have a problem here. But you know. It seems like she's going to find a way to get to a position. I don't know about voting rights in particular, but at least in terms of helping Biden have a a success, successful presidency with a, with a couple more wins under his belt before, you know, next year. Yeah, there's an argument that that that, you know, that would say that it would make sense for Manchin to switch parties, given mm-hmm. the state, you know, West Virginia is a. 40-point Trump state. Um, there's no argument that suggests that Kirsten Cinema would, it would make sense for her to change parties. So I think she's she's stuck there. And for all her effort, and, and I got to, to be clear, uh, the congressman did not give her an out. He, he, so, I, you know, the same, yeah. he, he didn't attack her, but he also basically said, like, hopefully she'll see the light. Hopefully mm-hmm. she'll do this. She, um, she wants Biden to succeed. So hopefully she'll do these things that will, that will help not just what Joe Biden succeed, but he framed it in sense of helping people succeed, right? That people are interested in helping people not process. So he didn't give her an out. I just want to, I just want to. You know, I don't think he went soft on her. I mean, you know, just so I I said it, I said it in a way that may have implied that he was defending her. I don't think he was defending her. He just didn't attack her. He didn't pile on. Right. He has to to work with her and he, he relayed over and over again that he, thinks and hopes, not just hopes, but thinks that she'll come around 
to the positions that we need her to come around on. Now, I don't know if she's going to come around on every position, right? I mean, who knows? You could find, you know, there could be a situation where she and Manchin agree to, you know, a one-time workaround for the filibuster on voting rights because, hey, it's just that important to the future of democracy. And I think that's a political argument that you can make. You know, we want the filibuster gone. But like if she were if they were to find a one time workaround for voting rights at this point in our history, I would take that. I would take that. Um, So, you know, and so everybody knows the filibuster is a rule that can be changed by a majority vote. So they literally could come up with a new rule that just like they did. You know, the Republicans said new rule. Supreme Court is no longer subject to a filibuster. And before that, Harry Reid said new rule. Uh, appellate court justices are no longer subject to a filibuster. The Democrats can come up today and say, new rule, anything having to do with voting rights is no longer subject to a filibuster. I mean, they could, whatever the rule is, they just need 50 people, uh, all 50 Democratic senators to agree. And the problem with the whole filibuster is that right now you have Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema, and a couple other, like Diane Feinstein of California, I think Tom Carper of Delaware, that are that are being squishy on the filibuster. But they can all decide that if this is important enough. And this is why, to me, if she's walking around saying I'm a co-sponsor of this, you know, for the People Act voting rights legislation, like you're not really a co-sponsor unless you do everything possible to make that happen. And as much as she's trying to win over independent voters and and Carrie, when you ask him what her motivation was, he said like he thinks that she's trying to appeal to independent voters. They don't vote in primaries. She still yeah. has to survive a primary. And if she's the consummate right. political survivor, and God knows she broke a losing streak, a decades-long Democratic losing streak in Arizona when she won. Like she mm-hmm. broke something that she did something that hadn't been done in, since like the 70s. And let's uh, remember that Martha McSally would be the you know, would be yeah. the senator there if the yeah. Republican <laughs> senator there if she hadn't. But anyway, go ahead. Sorry, go. Right. So she is not a dumb person. Like you said, Carrie, she is incredibly smart. She may be among the smarter people in, but right now I think she's taking the progressive base for granted. I think she's taking the fact that she could win a primary for granted. And at some point she's going to, that's going to sink in. She's, she's going to wake up. You know, the other thing is I've been sort of, you know, operating under the impression, not that I knew this for sure, but just as a, a guess, right. That if Manchin found a way toward coming around on some of these things, particularly on the filibuster, maybe a one-time workaround, maybe reforming it so it's a talking filibuster, whatever it might be, that Kirsten Cinema would not end up being the lone holdout that sunk the whole enterprise. And I come away from this conversation with the congressman thinking that's true, believing that he kind of confirmed. I mean, he didn't say this, right? I'm not, not, not try, trying to put words in, into his mouth. But my impression was, she, you know, she doesn't want to be the lone holdout on this that sinks sort of like a Biden domestic agenda. I don't think she does. I never thought she did want to be that person. But Manchin, to some extent, gives her cover to be like, well, I'm with this guy. You know, he's from a center. He's from a he's from a, a right, you know, leaning uh, well, very, very right-leaning. No, not right-leaning. Right. Red state, right. A very red state. And, you know, I'm, I'm from a, a purple state. And, you know, I think that gives her some sort of like, you know, cover that she's sort of walking this moderate line. 
But if he were, if he were to, I mean, she doesn't want to be to the right of Joe Manchin. No. I just really don't believe that. I just no. don't believe that. And I don't think she is, but you know, I walked away from this conversation thinking, yeah, she doesn't want to be to the right of Joe Manchin on anything. If Joe Manchin comes around on reconciliation, you know, he, he which he seems so, so do said she's open to too. I just don't think she's going to be the lone holdout that sinks some big bill, some big progressive priority alone, right? I she needs right. she needs the cover of other people. Yeah. I was also struck by his optimism for both 2022 and, and 2024. Although 2024 was in the context of this, if Trump runs again, right? So uh, if Trump's not running, maybe that might not apply. But 2022, for sure, uh, he caveated it, of course, saying if Democrats deliver, right? And this is what we've been talking about every single week. It's what we write about every day at Daily Coast is that Democrats have to deliver. But Arizona really is, I mean, if there's going to be a state that it's going to tie itself to Trump stronger than Arizona, I don't, I don't see it. And there's some pretty crazy Trump states out there, but Arizona is going that extra, extra step and Trump is loving it, right? They're catering. This whole cyber ninja thing is catering to Trump's pompous ego. And so I fully expect Trump to spend a lot of time in Arizona. And in fact, I think he is going to Arizona in the next couple of days for a rally. And so rather than make 2022 a referendum on Joe Biden, which is the standard case in a normal midterm election, we really, I think, have a chance because it'll be a referendum on uh, on uh, Donald Trump. And they're, they're, they want it. Like, this is what they want, which is a gift to us. And and he saw it the way we did, right, Kerry? I mean, I, I, he confirmed. He, anyway, he, he did, bolstered our theory. He bolstered our theory. But, you know, one of the things that he rooted it in, which, I mean, I think we rooted in sometimes at the federal level, but he was talking in particular at the state level, was what a level of desperation the Republican Party at the state level in Arizona is in and how it's really a, just a fundraising gimmick. You know, they needed to give the oh, the MAGA base. It was a great point, right? We needed, they needed to give the MAGA base something. It wasn't just about getting his voters out. It was about, you know, just like ripping as much money from their hands as they possibly could. That's, that's what Repu the state Republican party is doing there because it's desperate. And I think, you know, I always think of, Kevin McCarthy at the national level is being desperate to be speaker of the house. Right. I always think, I think of Republicans being desperate to get Trump's voters out in order to hopefully win more elections, right. That the turnout that they saw in 2020 just has them sort of salivating over that idea. But I, I, I sometimes forget about what, what level of desperation some of these uh, parties at the state level are. And, and the Republican Party sounds like it's in a desperate moment in Arizona. And, and the congressman is in a much better position than either you or I to know that. Um, of course, if, if they were really doing well, he probably wouldn't tell us either. But but no, he seemed pretty like he wasn't even there was, was no hesitation. No, he was jazzed about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I thought was interesting was he said, look, I I'm hoping that, you know, we're going to we're going to move from this purple state, from this you know political sea change into sort of a, a New Mexico type you know, blue state very soon. And then, and then, you know, hopefully we can concentrate on making sure that Georgia makes that transition, that Texas makes that transition, whatever. And I, I thought it was interesting that he put Arizona 
ahead of Georgia on the progression of that transition, right? So we spent a lot of time talking about Arizona, but I mean, sorry, about Georgia, but it's interesting to think that he feels like the Democratic Party there is further along that progression than than in, in Georgia. Yeah, I think part of it is that that black turnout in Georgia is much higher than Latino turnout in Arizona and American Indian turnout in Arizona. So there's a lot more low hanging fruit and it, it's not so low hanging. That's the problem. Right. But there's 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 gains to be made there with core Democratic constituencies. Uh, while in Georgia, it's they're still there to be made. Uh, there's still non-performing core Democratic constituencies in Georgia, but there's not as many. And the state with the most is Texas. Like Texas Latinos mm-hmm. are like absolutely brutal voter performance, right? So uh, a big part of that, it, it's obviously something we didn't really get to it with him, but he's really focused a lot on t- in that turning out that Latino vote. It's obviously, I mean, obviously his district is heavily Latino. He himself is Latino. It's it's a personal crusade of his, uh, and I think it benefits all Democrat. Yeah, all Democrats in Arizona. And I, you know, just, I would love to see him primary Kristen Cinema if she doesn't, you know, she doesn't get with the program. So. Why did she ask him that question? He was, he, it was clear that. I that know, was, but you can as well put him on I, the spot, see what he I, has to say. Yeah, he's probably so relieved I didn't ask him that. <laughs> I was like, he's going to brush it off. Here uh, I am trying to get into Cinema's head and you're like glossing over this, this, you know, <laughs> the elephant in the room. Yeah, anyway, I, honestly, fair. that didn't occur to me. Maybe that makes me a crappy political reporter. But anyway. no, 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 no. She's not uh, up for re-election until 2024. So it actually is way early. To way too early. Right. To That's fair. About primary. And there's no way any politics just... There's no way a politician's going to say who's trying to work with her on legislation and actually. Oh yeah. It's going to say, by the way, I'm primarying you in four years. No, but you know, <laughs> let's make them sweat here. Come on, come on, Marcos. <laughs> so, Goodness. so, um, but um, yeah, no, the, the the demographic possibility in in Arizona is huge, and the other piece he made is that that. Those rural areas, we've, we've talked about rural areas before on a show, and we got a, an episode coming up in a week or two on rural areas. So um, clearly it's a topic that's of interest to us. And a big factor there is that older, whiter male Republicans are in large part dying off. So right. every year there is that demographic shift where younger, browner uh, American Indians, uh, Latinos, Black, uh, Arizonans, Arizonians, Arizonans are turning 18 or get older. Even 18-year-olds don't vote so much, right? But as they get older, they start becoming more likely to vote. And then you have those older white Republicans dying. And once you die, you're very not likely to vote at all. So it's a, it's a, it makes it more difficult, which, again, it's, it's part of that piece of why are Republicans tying themselves to Donald Trump when the, it is fueling their losses amongst the nation's growth demographics. And it just Arizona is not immune to that. So I don't know yeah. if it's going to be a, a, you know, a New Mexico by 2024. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. But by 2028, it's actually fairly possible. I didn't, I didn't realize until he said it how poorly we had done in terms of turnout, Democrats had done in terms of turnout in rural areas of, of uh, Arizona. So, I, you know, obviously, like rural areas tend to, uh, you know, go towards Trump. 
um, and Republicans, right? That that has been kind of their bread and butter. Uh, but I didn't realize he was basically said that like this was this was a baseline. But, you know, the other dynamic, like a, a low this was like the lowest bar we've hit in a while. That was kind of what he was suggesting. And I, I didn't realize it had been that bad. So, you know, he had hope that that Democrats could come up from there. But the other interesting thing is, is like, you know, Maricopa County is 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 so big and massive at this point in the state that it seems like whatever way it really leans is what way the what way the state ends up going. Now, I don't know what the exact percentage is that it has to go by for Democrats for it to just be like game over. I actually don't know that number. But, you know, that suburb that the, the Maricopa County and the suburbs, it's kind of like, as I understand it, just like I, I haven't been to Arizona. I've been to Arizona, but I haven't like you know, spent a lot of time there. Like it's just a huge giant suburban mass, right? Yeah, Maricopa County. And, yeah. and it's growing and it's growing in the direction of Democrats, just like suburbs almost everywhere are. And you start to wonder if what he sees also is the fact that that County could just end up going so leaning so far democratic that at that point, it doesn't matter as much what Republicans managed to do in the rural areas, it can't overcome that juggernaut of a county. And that's the county where uh, where this sham audit is taking place. That's the county where state Republicans are counting, are, are calling the Republican county board members, supervisors of that election, like, you know, like Democrats, like socialists and whatever. That's the the Senate Republicans have gone to war with the biggest county in that state. It's a political juggernaut and they are pissing off every voter who who even the voters who like maybe voted for. Republicans down ballot, but didn't want to vote for Trump. They are absolutely pissing off all of those voters. I just can't like wrap my mind around what a like stupid thing, but obviously born of extreme desperation by which you would do that. Right. Yeah. That county board is 100 percent Republican because this was a county that used to be very Republican. And so by attacking and and maybe maybe the the state Senate you know, which is dominated by rural, you know, uh, state senators, of course. Maybe they're seeing these as the enemy now because these are the Republicans that are defecting. They're, they're college educated. They're they're more worldly, right? They travel and they see other cultures and they get on a plane and travel to a different country and have a passport, all crazy things. That is, that and, is nuts. No, right. It just, <laughs> and, and so, and so it, it, the way they're treating that county board, it's almost like they, they decided that they're all, Repu- they're all Democrats anyway at this point. And yeah, you're right. This may very well be accelerating that transition from people who have historically voted Republican and switching parties is not easy, Carrie. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's like switching religion. I mean, it, it is that ingrained, you know, we know this like, um, from uh, psychology that a party identification is like your religion. And so switching it is a gut-wrenching thing. I actually did it. I was a Republican growing up. And when I was about 24, I, I changed parties. Even back then, with just a few years of partisan identity, you know, uh, allegiance, it was hard. I can't imagine having 30, 40 years and then realizing, like, damn, I got I to gotta switch parties. So it's well, a maybe process. they just don't vote. Maybe some of them just 
Don't, I mean, I get the sense that there were a lot of Republicans sort of holding out and thinking, well, once Trump is gone, you know, my party will get back. The party right. that I remember will get back to being more reasonable. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I'll vote against him at the top of the ticket and I'll vote for some of these other Republicans down ticket who I know personally and think are good people, et cetera, whatever they thought, you know. But but th- this is just, you know, completely over the top. It could be our version of the Dixiecrats, right? They may not go and switch party ID, but they just happen to <laughs> randomly vote for Democrats, you know, down the line until maybe they see their party just come back. A protest vote. Yeah, exactly. So, Carrie, we're almost out of time. I want to give you an opportunity to, to talk about the series we're going to be doing this fall, because uh, Arizona is going to be one of the states that, that is part of that series. You want to you want to talk a little about a little bit about that? Sure. What, what's your, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so we've got, we, we have, we're in the st- planning stages of a series um, this coming fall where we're going to start in, in September um, going through the states that are going to be critical to next year's elections, midterm elections. Um, and we're covering, you know, all the states, of course, that will have major Senate races, but we're also going to, co- co- you know, cover some others. Um, and, uh, and in some cases where Democrats are protecting, uh, Senate seats too, but in that we're going to fill out, you know, other races of interest might be gubernatorial, might be secretary of state, might be, you know, might be a number, who knows, a number of, um, of congressional seats that we, that we might make pickups on or need to protect whatever the dynamics of that state are. And we're going to take each state, um, you know, episode by episode. So we'll have someone on who, and we don't know who our guests are yet, but we'll have some very smart people on someone who will give us sort of an overall overview of the state, as well as uh, someone who is working hopefully for a grassroots group within that state. And the whole idea is to get people you know, bought into and excited about what we can do next year, what we really need to do to save democracy next year. And hopefully, you know, having them take some, having our our listeners take some ownership over um, what they can do to help these grassroots groups out. You know, some of the early money that we can give to help them register voters um, might be also giving money to state parties who are doing, you know, some really interesting stuff to register voters. Because most important is that we don't get to the last two months or three months of the cycle, and then everybody drops a bunch of money into these campaigns, and they're so flush with money, they buy a bunch of ads that, you know, end up not moving the needle. But what could have been more important and had a bigger return on investment was early money to get people registered, to get people excited um, to vote and to, you know, build out the infrastructure for making these, you know, get for GOTV when the time comes. Yeah, I love this idea. It was a curious idea. And, and I'm 100 percent aboard precisely for that reason, because we're smart activists and we know that if we donate that money late and a lot of money will flow in late with act blue and we know it's going to go in late it is all pissed away on tv ads that don't do anything but if we can get people to donate money early a year out before the election they can use that to get people registered to vote they can hire organizers to knock on doors these are things that actually do demonstrably earn votes so that's what we're going to be focusing on. It's what Daily Coast does best. I'm so excited to get that on the, uh, going this fall. So look out for that and get ready to get in early 
on, on this effort to, and I don't think it's hyperbole, Carrie, it's an effort to save our democracy. Absolutely. The Republicans have made it very clear that they will not change ideologically to appeal to the changing American electorate. So they are doubling down on minority rule, using the institution, the machinery of uh, elections to lock in minority rule by keeping our people from voting, preferencing theirs, and things like the Senate filibuster to to make sure that a majority cannot govern. So that's what we're going to be focusing on. And that is our show for today. Thank you so very much. Thank Carrie. Thanks to Congressman Ruben Gallego of Arizona. Thank you, Walter Einenkel, for producing the show. And thank you, the listeners, for joining us. If you want to continue the conversation, you can join us at dailycoast.com or on Twitter at dailycoast. Thank you very much. See you all next week. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcast. You can always talk to us at dailycoast.com or on Twitter at dailycoast. See you next week.